Listen to me. If you want to climb the ladder of photography, then you need to listen to this podcast. They interview some of the biggest lords and ladies in photography. If you listen, truly listen, you almost certainly learn something valuable. Very valuable indeed. Welcome to the RGGDU podcast, where Rob and Gary drink blackberry wine with your favorite photographers, in from the finest brothels in the South. This podcast is brought to you by Sekonic. Light meters have helped generations of photographers and filmmakers set themselves apart from the rest of the pack by helping them produce consistent results in any lighting situation. Light meters are the common tool used by every lighting master. Head to Sekonic.com and start your journey to becoming a lighting master today. In this episode, we're joined with Colt Seaman, director of photography and all-around badass. <laughs> no, no, not a badass. Oh, One day I'll be a badass. One day I'll be a badass. One day I'll walk into a room and there'll be an explosion behind me. I feel like he's badass. He made it. <laughs> and alongside Rob Grimm, I'm Gary Martin. I'm here. We're going to get into, this is going to be a great episode. This one I'm excited about. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Colt, so give our audience a little bit of a rundown. What do you do? Like what, what's, your, what's your day job? Uh, my day job is being a cinematographer and like loving images at the end of the day. And I like going out and testing things and doing whatever I can to make the best image ever, but also have fun. Yeah, it seems like you have a ridiculous amount of fun. All the behind the scenes, all the interviews with you, you look like you're having an absolute blast doing this. So did you really leave the family mortician business? Is that? that it's actually really true. I'm not lying. Like we had a funeral home growing up as a kid called Seaman Family Funeral Home. Well, and like like people would like pass away and like name Richard and it'd be like, Dick is at Seaman Family Funeral Home. And it would be like no. on Jay Leno or something like that. We're like, oh my God, our funeral home's on Jay Leno. Wait, seriously, you were on Jay Leno? No, no. Like they would like show clips on like news stories and like, you know how he did like oh, the yeah, 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 board yeah. things. That's, yeah. All right. That's funny. Yeah. So why didn't you go into the family business? I didn't feel like doing that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. His day job now is a hell of a lot better. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So when did, you, when did you start calling yourself a cinematographer? What was that transition like? That was like, well, I first came out to L.A. and I was doing like some of these new shows with Red Bull Crane with like Travis Pastrana's uh, and uh, uh, on Pace of Pastrana and Driving Dirty with Bryce Menzies. These really successful shows so with Red serious. Bull. That's awesome. And uh after doing that, I was like, I really love filming and I love doing this. I was being introed and going to like the ASC awards and like checking out how awesome cinematographers are. They're like the the badasses of the industry. I'm like, these guys are really cool dudes. Yeah. <laughs> and actually like getting into it and seeing like how cameras work and like the real passion that goes into telling the story. It just like sucked me in like only like only like three years ago. I'm like, I want to be a best cinematographer ever. But you started as a still photographer, right? Yeah. In, in this yeah. world of sports, right? So yeah. walk us through that. So I started in like shooting photos and like the passion of shooting photos of a lot of different professional athletes. And while I was doing that, um, I realized hey, I'm going to pick up a video camera and film something, film this little action sports thing out in Breckenridge, Colorado. And a lot of people saw it and they're like, hey, by the way, <laughs> here's Andy Bell and me and my friend Johnny Zeller at the time were like, let's put something together and try to pitch this to Red Bull. And Red Bull is like, hey, we're doing this, actually. We're building a YouTube channel. And we're like, oh, okay, great. And that's how it all grew from, like, just random connections and meeting people. Right place, right time, networking. Yeah. yeah. So how long did that series take to shoot? What was that like, like uh, for, the production-wise? For uh, On Pace of Pastrana? Yeah, yeah. That was, like, months of planning because when we went into it, people were like, you know what you're doing, right? And we all looked at each other. Yeah, yeah, totally. We know what we're yeah. doing. Yeah, we had no idea. We're like making phone calls like, so what do we do? What's it? We need this camera, right? Yeah. And Fake but, it till you make it. Yeah, like, and we literally sat and watched 
constant shows and we're like, okay, how did they shoot this? All right, here's a formula. Here's a good way of like how they told the story and like, okay, how can we do it with the cheapest possible gear ever? And we're like going out with like 70s, little 5Ds, and we had no idea how to like record audio. Our first couple episodes, the audio is completely off. <laughs> we're like yeah. that. We're like, all right, now we need to master audio. It's right. really important. So did they did they not have faith in you when they're like, you know what you're doing? Or did they just like pluck you and then were they? They had total like, faith in us. <laughs> they had total faith in us because like uh, Andy Bell at the time, uh, mm-hmm. he was did all the stuff with like Nitro Circus and everything. He knew like a lot of things. Yeah. He's had the experience before, and he kind of guided us into this like field. Yeah, that's that, and that's crazy work. Nitro Circus, all that stuff. That is uh, some of the uh, some uh, of the stuff you were doing was nuts. Oh, it was amazing. Yeah, I, it's the best experience ever being with TP and Bell and those guys. All right, like, so what are some of the craziest stories that come out of that? Oh, there have to be a ton. There's tons. I, just, <laughs> I remember one time we were out in the middle of nowhere and we all ran out of beer, and this guy's like, oh, no. "Well, we have the helicopter." <laughs> they took off. No. They like ran to the helicopter in the middle of the night or like late at night and jumped in it and went and go get more beer. And we're like, I'm like, that's when I realized it's Wait. this is pretty awesome. That's when you realized they're like, the we're right coming business. back, we're getting cases. Did they land the helicopter in like the parking lot of a I gas station? I don't know. They they probably went near like a small airport or they landed in the middle of nowhere and then ran to the like the nearest liquor store. That's awesome. All right. Yeah. So outside of audio, what would you have done differently if you had to reshoot that now? Like if you had to, let's go into that. If you had to reshoot that whole thing now, what would that production look like? It would literally look like Roger Deakins shot it. (laughs) (laughs) I would try to like, if I redid it, I think everything I did at the time was like what I needed to do because it was at the time, only the equipment that was available. And like, we didn't have like, like the crazy amount of money to buy like two, $300,000 worth of gear. We're like, how can we do it with just this, this, and this? Yeah. Right. And did you rent it, or are you guys owning all the gear? Owning all the gear. Yeah. And w- so, what about your gear now? Do you do you rent most of it? Do you own it? Uh, I own gear too. I have a red camera as well. Um, and uh, depending on like what we go into or different productions, you'll rent because it's very specific now for larger jobs. Yeah. So I think it's kind of interesting. You were talking about when you first got started, you were just trying to do it with the cheapest camera that you had in your hand, just something available. Yeah. Um, and now that you've really gotten into it, you're actually kind of on the bleeding edge of technology. You're really working with companies to develop new products and to figure out how to push the limits of some of the best gear out there. How did you go from from working with just like the real low end stuff to being known for a guy who is going to help push companies with their tech, their technology? Well, it started like kind of like back in the Red Bull days where I'm like, oh, the am I going to make this happen? Like I have just a little 70 and I got to make this thing look like a big picture. And by doing that, it helped me with uh, actually a shootout back in the day I did with uh, Zakudo. I made the, uh, me and Johnny Zeller, we made the GH2 in this shootout look better than the Alexa and the red. And it all came down to shooting and lighting for the sensor. And that's where I started realizing, okay, I could start learning these cameras and making them look really, really good. It doesn't, it's not just the, the, camera it's actually the cinematographer as well and the person lighting the scene and doing everything and actually understanding how to basically light your way out of the box and then going into the bigger stuff it like i was realizing more and more with big red cameras and alexas and everything else i'm like okay these cameras are great they get to have more information so then you need better lensing and lighting and it's just a passion that you learn from like crews are so fucking talented like my gaffer at the beginning, uh, Vance Trussell, he lit Pulp Fiction. This guy was like a wealth of knowledge. He yeah. just like showed me everything. You know, I don't think most people think about the fact that, um, yeah, you got to know lighting, but this is an interesting concept that you have to understand the sensor and light for that sensor. Yeah. Well, 
what kicked that in for you to say I can make something look as good as an Alexa with a Canon 70D? I just have to figure out how to light the sensor. And how do you how do you go about understanding that sensor, what it does? Well, the thing is, like other sensors don't have the dynamic range. They don't have the color palette as the other big ones in the gamma. So you're like, okay, I'm limited here. What do I have to do? I have to like bring more light into the scene. I have to like, the shadows can't be as harsh. And like sometimes some sensors, when it goes to like shadows and black, you'll see a lot of noise and different issues and they'll fail. Some sensors don't read green well. So when you bring green into a scene, it looks like, it looks like shit. I'll be completely honest. You're like, that looks horrible. And then you look at a good camera and you're like, that one's reading green well. Mm -hmm. So just understanding the different sensors out there and different capabilities. They're almost like, now it's like people back in the day, like, oh, what film stock you're shooting on? Now it's like, hey, what sensor are you shooting on? And like an yeah. Alexa looked to a red, like VistaVision or Weapon AK Helium and also even the Alexa 65. They're all different looks. They have different mm -hmm. purposes. Are you learning this just from trial and error or is there yeah. a resource out there that it, you can There's go not to? a lot of resources. Um, HBO does a massive camera test. That's incredible. It's like a private camera test. Luckily, I got to see it last night. Oh, my God. I was blown away. But, like, <laughs> you get to see, like, the capabilities of, like, different sensors and newest things out there. And there's a lot of – it's not just me. It's, like, there's people spending millions of dollars doing camera tests. So, like, like someone like HBO can be the best picture you see. That's why when you watch an HBO show, it's so good. It's so, well, like – Why aren't look. you putting that information out there to elevate everybody's game? It's, it's their edge. Yeah. That's their, the it's their secret All right, yeah. so why would it cost millions of dollars to do camera tests? What They're testing in the most rigorous settings, different lighting, colors. It's really amazing. With everything and everybody. Everything. Yes, and, and they do such a great job at it. And it's a very, like, closed door. But when you I, – luckily, I got brought into it last night, and I sat and watched it, and I'm like, that's – I literally was like, this is why HBO is the best. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I think one of the quotes was um, – God invented light and then Colt perfected it. Or, or <laughs> yeah. like, well, that was one of the quotes, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, right? yeah. So how did you go from being a, a still guy who's shooting natural light of sports to really understanding how to light from motion? That's a big gap. It's a big gap. Like uh, first time really lighting actually was on the GH2 thing. I had no idea what I was doing. Like, I, <laughs> Admittedly. <laughs> so I, I literally had no idea what I was doing. I was looking around I'm like, oh, God, this is way over my head. <laughs> like, what did I sign up for? Yeah. And I just was like, put a light here. And they put a light there. And I'm like, put a light here. And it just made the scene real bright. But by doing that, like, not without my knowledge, I kind of like knew what I was doing, but not like I wasn't confident. Yeah. And what I was doing, but I was just like, yeah, put a light here, put a light here. And I look over at the, um, I always forget his name, the ASC cinematographer that was running it. But, uh, um, we'll call him Bob. Bob. We'll call him Bob. Bob. He's an amazing guy. Um, he was. I, I was looking at him. He's like, kisser, he was like, so what tea stop do you want to be at? And I look over and I'm like, him. Do you have any suggestions? <laughs> <laughs> he's like T four. I go okay, thanks. <laughs> like he knew I was like not a babe in the woods. Yeah, yeah. I was a, I was a Bambi, Bambi, right. just like not knowing anything. But he helped me and guided me, and that's also what I've realized is that. Going to people that have wisdom and knowledge and having them tell you, like, their mistakes so yeah. you don't do them. Learn yeah, by think, others' mistakes. I think that's one of the things that's really great about the business, both stills and motion. The people who have been in the game for a long time and who really understand how to do it, they are very willing to teach and to share and to groom. But you got to ask them for help. Exactly. You know? And you got to ask the right questions, like going up and saying, hey, what's your f-stop? You know, that's not necessarily the right question to ask. Yeah. It's because settings don't matter. It's yeah. understanding the lighting and the composition. That's what matters. Yeah. And setting like a feel like that's another big thing. I've, I've, since I did a movie last summer and while doing it, I 
really had to before it understand like how camera movement also affects the story Mm -hmm. from the dialogue everything and the lighting like everything little detail you do to your camera and shooting it the scene is telling the story not just the dialogue just like everything you want you to turn the audio off and you want to know what's happening without hearing a thing. You know, honestly, I think you're touching on something that I think is the reason why so many photographers have a hard time making their transition to motion well. When you're a still photographer, you're taking pictures and you're setting your style. You know, you have a certain look that you get through your composition and your camera settings that gives you your look. When you're shooting motion, you really have to set a mood, set a feel for a particular piece. And it's can't necessarily create just a singular style Mm -hmm. you have to have a range of styles that that ultimately define who you are as a cinematographer but i think it the sense of style is very different from motion to still it's almost non-equivalent yeah yeah i think like i think a big strength coming from photo and going into video is you're gonna crush composition yeah that's like hands down you're gonna know composition really well going into it also with going from still into video like I was laying with strobes before, and I'm right. like, it's like invisible light. You can't yeah. see that shit. <laughs> and then no, you go into film, and you're like, the light's hard. I can see it. Yeah, and you, yeah, like, yeah. see what you're doing. So, like, it was actually, I felt a lot faster and ahead of people that even went to film school. And I never went to film school. I just went into it, like, I'm going to do this. And by just, like, being determined and, like, studying the lighting and texture and everything and, like, literally watching a movie every night, I was like, I can do this. Right. Do you think film school is necessary? No. Not at all. No, film school's good, I think, because you get to know the history of film. You get to know a lot of different things. I just had to learn on my own. And I don't think a lot of people have this this determination and dedication to sit down and actually like on a, like be like doing college courses on your own. Like I'm on like watching movies and I'm stopping them. I'm writing notes. Like I'm it's like I'm in right. college still. But it's like I never went to school for film school. I went to school for business law. So I was just like, I got to be determined. I got to do this. <laughs> and uh, I, film school is great, but I don't think you need to do it. I think film school, you spend a lot of money. You learn um, how to work with teams, which is really good. And uh, but at the end of the day, it's about getting in the field. I think so many people I know that went to film school, they come to industry and it's 180 different than they learned in school. Yeah, It's 180 degrees. So yeah. when did you really feel like, all right, I'm comfortable with lighting? Like, did something happen? Did something click? Like, or- um, Probably in the middle of my movie that I did. I did like, so, so people listening don't know this. I did this uh, modern day version of Airplane, the comedy called Airplane Mode, which will be coming out this fall. And then during like the middle of the movie, I, I realized like I lit a whole airplane, custom LED light up inside. The dimmer board op is one of my good friends who does all the Transformers. I had him, like, helping me with the lighting. Sure. I had Vance bring in his lighting team. And, like, in the middle of it, I realized, I think I know what I'm doing. Like, <laughs> it snapped. Like, I can light scenes. I can feel emotion into it. And that's where I was, like, I did it. I, I know, no lighting. Let's back up and talk about this movie. How did yeah. that come about? And, like, what was the process from, like, your initial idea to, like, the first day of filming? So my business partner is Dave and Dylan. Like, we, we all want to make movies. And no one. Before even doing a movie, no one was going to trust you with several million dollars to make a movie. And I'm like, yeah, I want to make a movie. Oh, yeah. How much is it? A couple million. Okay. Yeah. Get the hell out of here. <laughs> so we're like, we need to be the best as we can in doing commercials. So Dave, Dill, and I busted our ass. We shot a lot of commercials, and we grew in the commercial space really fast for a year and a half, two years. And then by people seeing we could do larger budgets, we could tell story, we could make things look good. 
we then decided let's make a movie and no one believed we could make a movie like everyone like said we're gonna fail basically and while going into it we're we're like hey we have our friend logan paul these big social stars we'll mix it with real talent we'll make the biggest social star movie ever in history and they're like sure whatever you're not gonna be able to get any of those guys but they didn't know the studios and everyone like they're our friends. Mm-hmm. So we went and got letters of commitment and everything. We went back out. No one wanted to support us. So we said, fuck it. We're going to raise our own money. We raised money in like a week and a half. We're like, oh, my God. This... What did you do? Uh, fr- friends and family of people yeah. we knew that had the money that have done stuff before in the like financing of films and got the money in. Dave Dillon, Logan Paul, Jake Paul got together. They cranked out a script really fast. And we're like, let's do it. And we realized, we're thinking like, how do we make a good movie with all these people in one place to save the budget? We're like, they're like on an island, in a submarine. And it's like, <laughs> it was like on a plane. And we're like, oh my God, a plane's perfect. <laughs> and that's how it came about. And we decided to like put our feet down and like get wet, our hands dirty and make a movie. So you got funding before you even had a script. Well, we had like a rough script. A it rough, wasn't rough finished. Idea. It was a rough idea. All right. So like, what are your goals for the movie? Like where, where does it go once it comes out? Like, um. It'd be great to do theatrical. Theatrical's great. That makes like a DP and directors, everyone like happy. It's like kind of like a calling card, like buy movie made to the cinemas. Mm-hmm. But the thing is like in a movie like this, I think the best thing for it is to go online and do like a Netflix release, anything like that. Because you have to spend so much in P&A for the marketing of a movie. It's like we've made a movie for this amount. It's better if we go this route because we already make money. We can do this. And you got to think of like the business side of it. Sure, get into the black faster. Yep. Than, yes. Yeah. And then take that and show that you can bring in a profit on a movie and get bigger budgets and bigger pictures that you want to do to the theaters. So do you have a, a first cut yet? Uh, yeah, yeah, we have a rough cut already. Yeah, we're done. We're pictures locked. And now we're waiting for all the CGI and VFX to come in and everything. And it's a, it's a process. Like, making a movie is not easy. Like, making yeah. a movie, like, everything's set up for you to fail. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's hard. to find that. What is everything set up to fail for? It's It's like... The music has to be on point. The sound design has to be on point. Your filming has to be on point. The story has to be on point. The directing has to be on point. Like yeah. every little thing has to be good. And you're working against the move. clock. Yes. Every day. Every day, yeah. Yeah, that's hard. So your your commercial work, you guys really set out to kind of conquer the commercial work so you could do the movies. Yeah. It, it was an absolute goal. But you guys you guys got out there pretty fast. I mean, um, Culprit Creative – you guys have a pretty deep client list, and I think you were you guys were thirty under thirty with uh, Business Week, right? Oh yeah, with Forbes, yeah, Forbes, right? yeah. The first six months of us starting our company, we we're actually all in Mexico for the Baja race, helping my friends at Tent Media, who are now do, doing really well as they uh, do all the off road racing, trophy truck stuff. Uh, at the time, we we're all helping each other out because we're all growing in the industry, and we were down in Mexico when we found out we made the Forbes list, and it was just like a we did it, like six months into our company, and we're like six now, months into the company, yeah. But we're like, what do we do now? Like, how do we market ourselves of being Forbes thirty or thirty for marketing? And we just had to realize, like, all right, we need to leverage this into getting bigger work. Yeah. How do, how does it help you? I mean, uh, did... it helped us in the beginning because like people look at us like. We would go into meetings and we knew what we were talking about. We've dealt dealt with like marketing stuff and it was for younger generations of like how to like market to this, uh, like like millennials and all this. And we would go into meetings. They're like, but do you really know what you're talking about? <laughs> and then the Forbes 30 and 30 came out and we tell it and they're like, these guys really know what they're talking <laughs> you, about. You and we're right? like, yeah, give us street credit. Give us a little badge. We're yeah. like, okay, yeah, well, look, look, okay, we can do this. <laughs> What do you think it is about the three of you that's come together so quickly to make such high-end work? Um, passion. 
Yeah. Yeah. Passion. Same, same wavelength. Yeah. And like, like I could walk away and both of them know exactly what I'm thinking and the same vice versa for them. We've been friends forever. And like, uh, we actually started our company at Burning Man. You did? <laughs> yeah. We, we came up with this idea like, we should we should work together. Were you sober at Burning Man coming <laughs> no, up with this idea? <laughs> no, definitely not. And the sun was rising and uh, it was actually with my friend Andrew Freston who like runs Vice and everything. And we're all on a bicycle oh, cool. and we're like, sun's rising. And my business partner at the time, Dylan, crashes his bike and pops his shoulder out. And we're all like an emergency. We've got to pop your shoulder back in. <laughs> and as soon as we popped it in and we're all like laughing about it, we came up with the name Culprit Creative. So uh, <laughs> we're like, like we're culprits. Right. <laughs> it's perfect. So what are the roles of everyone on your team? What do you guys all, how do you divide responsibility? Well, we all do creative at the end of the day. We're all thinking of creative, how we're going to do things and like what we want to do. And uh, Dave, Dylan, direct, I shoot. So they spend time perfecting the story, like what we're going to be doing. And I'm perfecting how I'm going to make the image better, how I'm going to tell it better. So we, by separating that versus just being a DP director or anything like that, separating it is the best thing you can do. Because like if you're just doing everything yourself, your work's not going to be great. You have to work with teams, but teams that click because then you get in group flow and your shit looks so much better. Everything gets done right. I saw you had some interesting titles for your partners too, like head of head of ideas. Yeah. And so it's kind of you, director you, of possibilities. Yeah, yeah. Director of possibilities. That's yeah, right. yeah. yeah. yeah that's, we always mess with each other's emails. Actually, we change it. The director of possibilities. You change the O to you. He didn't notice for like a week. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, take hey, God. We all like play jokes at each other, oh so God, you have that's to. Funny. That's funny. But I like the way you guys have have definitely given each other some division, but some some real autonomy to kind of go after your your particular. Um, strength within the business and then blend together to, to come together to, to really build these incredible videos. Yeah. And the thing is like you, we all work as a team to get us to our point, like right now doing our first movie. And I think by doing this, it's really going to help our careers. And it also like we're, we know Eli Roth really well and we're working on a project with him and we're trying to do this new horror film, which will be like, a, like a, like the next modern day shiny. Is this like the chainsaw really, thing? No, chainsaw. Chainsaw was like a fun one. We're just like chainsaw is going to be great. That was just a fun thing. But is, is it a comedy too? Is it straight no, up no, horror? No horror. Open oh. house is going to be terrifying. <laughs> terrifying. Yeah, you look happy about that. I, I'm so excited. Actually, we have a uh, like a custom 40 foot like new. Um, it's Mark Roberts. There's the the best in the motion control game. They have a 40 foot. It's a trite not Triton Titan. No Triton arm that they're shipping over and I'm going to use it and we're building a whole house on the set like five feet off the ground and I'm going to do a, a one camera move throughout the whole house following the, the talent and when they go into another room, it's going to go underneath the floor and we're going to put glass and I'm going to do the whole conversation one room underneath the floor and you like move around between the talent and you kind of look up the realtor's skirt and you see her butt cheeks and you slowly go up past her to her face and you see this fan spinning above her head, which is like a premonition. Later on, she's going to die from a fan, but no one knows. And we follow her out back into the hallway into a room. And in the movie, they walk into a house and they're stuck in it. And it keeps resetting every time they walk through this bedroom. So doing a motion control throughout the whole room. And right when they walk into the room, boom, it resets to the front of the right house. Back. Yeah. How much acid were you on when you come up? But it's 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 one of those kind of films that we looked at and a lot of people are like, oh, the script's okay. And we're like, let's doctor it up. Let's really work on it. And then bring in the visual elements to it that Dave Dillon and I look at the script now and we're like, we can make this thing like a huge box office piece. So, so you guys didn't write the script? No, Eli Roth did. 
Yeah, right on. Yeah. All right. All right. So have you guys just completely put commercials aside? Or are you taking them? No, at- we love doing commercials. Yeah. Commercials are fun. And they're like, yeah. come in and get out, like, quick projects. But now we realize, like, when you go into a movie, it's it's a mission. Like, you're you're dedicating your life to it. But you need to do commercials on the side to pay your bills and do everything. But when you go into a movie, it's 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 your life. Yeah. So how many shoot days are you estimating there to be for this horror film you're Oh, this uh, 30, 34 days. It's going to be a lot. So we can minimize it because we're all on the stage the whole time. But spending the time into scenes, a lot of people I've realized they're like, hey, how can we shoot this thing the fastest? Or instead of shooting in 15 days, let's shoot in 10 days. It's like, don't like limit yourself because by doing that, you're just going to shoot yourself in the foot. Spending the time in the scenes and like planning ahead and really getting what you want will help the story and everything turn out better. And if you end early, that's great. Like then you're starting to cut days off and then it's like kind of rewarding. It's all in the planning, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, literally 80% of a movie, no, 90% of a movie is made in post-production. Everything's made in before you start filming, not post, pre-production, pre-production. Everything's made before the movie. So, and so you guys have a budget, obviously, where does most of that go? Where do you want to spend most of the money on, on the film? Oh, uh, thing is, lighting isn't crazy expensive now. You can get really good lighting stuff. The best thing in a movie to spend is set design. Set design makes your thing look so much more expensive, higher production value, everything. And, like, set design budgets are insane. Like, think of Game of Thrones or, like, yeah, any other yeah. kind of show where they're building these massive sets. It's expensive, but at the end of the day, it's helping tell your story, and it's beautiful. Like, good sets really are key. So where do you go to get a, a great set? Who are you working with? Um, Probably another best friend you grew up with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> My next door neighbor. <laughs> um, no, it's uh, the guy who did our airplane. Um, he's with Red Truck. He helped build like a, the Wes Anderson film uh, Life Aquatic. Oh, oh the, yeah. The sh- half a ship. Oh, oh like yeah. That, you uh, that guy. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. He's amazing. That's the that's my favorite thing about Wes Anderson, the color palette and the set design. It's like, wow. Like, yeah. yeah. You can just get lost and just looking at it. Like, oh. you don't even need audio. Yeah, Wes Anderson's like, the best. What? Forever Wes Anderson. Yeah, we love his work. He's amazing. All right, so let's talk a little bit about gear. What gear are you shooting on? Like, what's this movie going to be shot on? What are you shooting your commercials on? Um, a lot I'm shooting on red because I like the raw workflow of it. Like, I love, like, being able to shoot on red because it's small. It's lightweight. I know the sensor really well. I know how to light for it. Um, they have the skin tone OLPFs, which are really, like, incredible because people look really good with those. And um, the raw workflow, when you get the raw image and you bring it into like a DI bay and you get to see everything through like an ACES or any of that kind of color spectrums, it's like really incredible what you can do. Do Such a dork. Do you do do any of the post-production ever? Uh, As in like just editing? Yeah. Yeah, I love editing. Uh, Like I'm not like an editor. I will never say I'm an editor, but like I love sitting next to an editor because they're so much better than me. Like I'll be like, I I want this look and this is and this on the timing. And there's people that are just so talented. They'll just do a way better job than you can. Yeah. So you recently uh, introduced some new lenses for Leica. Let's talk about that. How did that relationship start with Leica? Well, it started with uh, my friendship with Seth Emmons, who runs CW Sonder Optic. They're the main lens company that's like a sister company to Leica they're they're both like in Germany on in the same compound and everything both owned by Dr. Kaufman who's the best guy ever um uh Seth is like he, growing up uh they're in the film industry he's known me since I like I've kind of like first picked up a camera and like wanting to learn things and I've always had questions and he started letting me use 
light the lenses. And I want to do this big beauty project out in the desert. And he goes, hey, come come over to Leica. And I'm like, all right, all right, cool. I'm just, like, usually we have coffee like once a week with each other. And uh, he brings me in and he slides his box across the floor to me. And I'm like, what's this? And I open it up and it just, they're lenses with no name. I think they're just like rehoused lenses or something. He goes, those are the new large format lenses. And I've been talking to him for like a year and a half about like, they need to go into the big sensor game. And he finally like, listen to me and other cinematographers about doing this. And I was like, you guys did it. And it was really interesting to like be able to see these. And then I'm like, who else knows about it? And he goes, only you. And I'm like, oh my God, this is so cool. Like, this is great. They didn't even have a name on them yet. Like they didn't even release a name. There was just like blank lenses. So oh, what, cool. what are the name of them? Talia. Talia. Where, what does that mean? Where does that, where does that come from? I don't know. No one knows. But it's so cool. Was, like, it's cool. so cool. You got to make something up. Yeah, you got to make something up. It's like, what is it? <laughs> Talia. Oh, yeah, yeah, Talia. So you shot the promo to introduce yeah, uh, so these lenses. I went up to the desert and I shot on the uh, Red Vista Vision. Uh, Ivan Averton and Jared at Red hooked me up. I got the Vista Vision. And it's like a massive sensor. It's like big picture, like digital IMAX, basically. Right. And being able to use these like lenses on it, I didn't ever knew what I was kind of like image I was going to get. I knew it was going to be pretty. I went out and did some test filming of it and I brought it in to see the color of it. And I was just like, this is like revolutionary. This is game changing. Like every show, every movie should be shot on something like this. Yeah, you just showed us a little bit of it. And yeah. the detail is ridiculous. The detail. And, and every just, freckle, every eyelash in the woman's eye is just like, oh my God. Yeah, you're literally man. shooting like digital IMAX and that's yeah. shooting them with the AK raw workflow. And you're looking just on a laptop. When you see this on a, 4K Chrissy projector in a theater or like a big IMAX screen, you're like, the detail's even better. Like, yeah, it's yeah. better. Oh, that's, that's going to be awesome. I can't oh, wait yeah. to see features made with this. That's really cool. All right, so go through the rig that you shot the whole thing on. Oh, yeah. So, so when we were out in the desert, we were chasing uh, Aniela. She's the horseback rider. I wanted this, like, modern-day Lawrence of Arabia. I had her on horseback running up and down the sand dunes. And to follow her, like, there's a lot of different systems out there, but the best in the world is literally just do an off-road razor with the ultimate arm guys with a spring mount in the front and you mount like a stabilized head. You can do a lot of different stabilized heads, but the best is like shot over is really good Oculus, but we use shot over F1. And the thing is so tuned into being stabilized that like when you're chasing and the off-road vehicle's shaking like crazy, yeah. you look at the image, it's just like still. <laughs> like it's almost impossible to get your head around. I know. You know? And, I yes. Mean, like, how can that even work? Yeah. I, like, like when I was sitting in the front seat, I'm like looking at the spring mount system that it's holding, like bouncing. Right. And I'm like looking at everything. And I literally see the camera moving up and down like 12 inches. And I look at the image and it's still. I'm like, I'm like, yeah. I'm like mathematically, this is not counting <laughs> up, <laughs> adding up. But it works and it's great. Yeah. Walking around the NAB floor yesterday, we came across. Across that, I think it's a Cadillac, it's a Cadillac all black yeah. Cadillac with uh, the, the, this whole rig on it, and this guy's like, you know, just pulling it down as fast as possible and just staring at the image. It's like it's not moving. Yeah, yeah. this is not possible. Yeah, and that's what like the, the thing is. What's crazy is that like technology is really catching up into the cinema world, like in the cinema community, and letting people that are just coming into it, yeah, experience, which is amazing because like four years ago. I never had the chance to reuse that kind of stuff. I never had the chance to literally, it was like so difficult to get a good image and follow and stabilize. It's like, yeah. now it's like the cost of things are going down. There's so yeah. much more equipment out there that people, they can shoot a good image if they want to. Yeah. They just got to find the right tools. Yeah. The other thing you said is it really gave you speed and allowed yeah. you to move so quickly through, through the course of your work. Oh yeah. And like, it's definitely like, the newer equipment coming out is helping me 
like show off what I want to shoot and the style I want to create. Yeah. Yeah. Free Fly and DJI just has uh, new releases with their gimbals, which I, I mean, man, it's really. It's insane. It's yeah. incredible. Cause like, honestly, when the Movi first came out and the DJ Ronin, like, I've done so much testing with it. And I'll be honest, it was failing, 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 failing. Cause like, they were having like their 15 pound weight loads. But right. the, at the time, like, they were designing this. They were like, okay, we could put a DSLR in it. But they weren't thinking like, if you really push that camera and give it a lot of G forces, that's way more than 15 pounds. Right. And now with their oh, yeah. new Ronin they just came out with, it's incredible. It's so stiff as a rock. Like I literally just did, I walked by DJI's booth and I was checking it out. And Isn't my, it super heavy though? I don't know. I think it's a lot lighter oh, now. Is it? But it's like, I literally watched it and I gave like one of those golf claps, like, <laughs> <laughs> like impressive. You guys actually did it. Like this is now is like a tool that could be used on big features. Like as, as and the thing is, it's like, they don't look at it as like a steady cam. Don't look at it as just like a remote head. Like the Ronin and the Movi, they're a tool for capturing an image in a certain way. Different. It's just another tool in the shed. Speaking of tools, you took a bunch of reds and strapped them on top of a mini. Yeah. And drove them around the country to shoot plates. Yeah. What's the story there? Oh, yeah. I built a uh, 4K plate shooting car with Shutterstock. Uh, everyone was requesting from like Netflix and other shows that they need 4K plates. Like everything out there right now is just HD. Mm-hmm. And now with all shows having to do 4K deliverables and Netflix is only 4K deliverables. Now. You have to shoot on a camera that shoots 4K raw. So they need to have their plates in the background be 4K as well. So Shutterstock's like, this has to be done. And I'm like, okay, I think like, they're like, can you do this? Another thing? Can you do this? I'm like, uh-huh. yes, I can. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we, uh, um, I worked with Blacklist Digital and Ilya Friedman of Hot Rod Cameras. And Ilya is a talented like amazing person he was the first person to like start pling 70s and everything he like is a very big innovator in the space him and duclos and like he helped me build it, like, a nine camera like it's beautiful rig this setup like it's right now collecting dust but i need to use it again but a beautiful system to put on either alexas or reds any kind of camera you want and i partnered with blacklist digital and division and they literally hooked me up with a bunch of reds we put nine of them on there with 25 millimeter lenses on it. And literally it shot like, it was like a VR rig. I'm like, oh, I built a VR rig. But it was like in a scale shooting everything at full 6K and shooting all of LA, San Francisco, out in the desert, up in the mountains, nighttime city, shooting everything. And then uploaded all the shutter stock and it's on their pro account. Now people like Netflix and other people can go there and like use those plates for their shows. This could be a great source of revenue. Just oh, creating the Shutterstock is a great source of revenue. I will not <laughs> like, say it's yeah. not. It's amazing. Why isn't this car running around all over the country right now? It could be like the Google car just shooting plates from well, coast to coast. That's expensive to do. It's expensive. Yeah. How much and, footage did you get? Oh, I shot, I think what's, I shot, what's I shot like, a terabyte. I, I probably shot 64 terabytes easy. Oh, God. And the thing is, I shot even Las Vegas here. I was here in Las Vegas and it was like in the summertime and I wasn't thinking. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to Vegas. It's in the middle of summer. It was hot as hell here like the cameras are overheating because it's like oh, yeah. i'm driving yeah, and it's like and it was like one of the hottest parts of the summer i'm like okay great how many people does it take to run that thing two people that's it that's it you build it on the roof the whole back trunk at bauer gave me a bunch of red brick batteries that you load up and literally like you feel like you're in a what is it what is it the time the car that goes back and back to the future oh, car yeah. you open the back door <laughs> has all these bells and whistles and lights and everything and you're like the delorean the delorean i was like plugging in the batteries i'm like all right i'm powering up and i just go inside the car and i rigged it in a way and where i just inside the car just touch a button all nine cameras turn on and then i had all of them feed to the inside and small hd also hooked me up with a bunch of monitors 
like nine monitors so I could build a camera array and I could see all nine images inside the back seat of the car. Oh, cool. So, and, and also in the car, I built a RAID system. It's crazy that I built this, a RAID system and also powered through my car batteries and bought another car battery. And I was literally dumping cards to RAIDs while driving and filming. And it was powered off of a car battery? Uh, the yeah. car battery when you're driving was powering the RAIDs and everything. Oh, wow. And the That's cameras crazy. were all being powered by the red brick, uh, big, yeah, huge yeah. brick batteries in back. You need to build another one, but you need to buy a DeLorean and do it. In I know. I, need, I always tell Jared or Red, I'm like, hey, like, you want to do a cool statement piece for uh, NAB or like uh, Cinegear? He goes, what? And I go, take this rig. We'll put all the cameras on. And we're going to put it on a Lamborghini. <laughs> and he's like, but it's it's not like people would never use it for it. And I go, I don't care. People will think it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> there is the cool factor. Mm-hmm. All right. Another thing that you do that's nuts. It, did this really get off the, the, the ground, the drone racing league? And do drones yes. really go 150 miles an hour? Yeah. The small ones do, yeah. 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 Drone racing is insane. That blew up in our face. Oh, oh, yeah. Right, tell uh, us about those that. guys are insane. So actually, it's crazy. So Dan Kane's set of Parallax. That started Parallax, the wireless system. Yeah, um, I didn't even know it at the time. He was like one of the first people as a founder of DRL. It was like his concept. It's amazing. Dan's like he's a genius, and he gave it to a friend of ours, uh, Nick, to uh, do um, um, basically take over the drone racing league. And Nick reached out to us, and we're like, "All right, so what do you want to do?" He's like, "I want to drive drones fast." I'm like, "Okay, great." How? He's like. I have these racers, really talented, the sport's blowing up. We go over to this place in New York in Yonkers and we can fly like drones up and down this like abandoned power thing. I'm like, all right, what's your budget? It's not big. And we're like, okay, all right, let's do this. Like it was, came like a passion project. <laughs> right. So while doing it, we shipped out like, like probably a couple hundred big eight foot Kino tubes and a truck all the way to New York from LA to build in this giant abandoned like power plant. And when we're inside there, we're like coming up with the course. Like, th- this is how new d- drone racing was. We're inside this place. Like, so how should we have the drones go around here? It was like no planning, no organization. We're just like, we got to do this. You're winging it. We're completely winging it. But after realizing how the drones are flying, how after a few days of realizing what you could do, we're like, let's do it. And we brought in a big crew of people. We filmed it. And after the, the, like the, the aftermath of it and after releasing this video – blew up the whole sport was like drone racing league drone racing's a thing and it was yeah. getting articles everywhere and then now they're on espn a year and a half later these are the small crazy. drones too without cameras right like the they, they, small they, ones? yeah small they have cameras in front so the pilots could see but oh yeah literally like we did yonkers and after yonkers we did a, uh they did miami dolphin stadium and then they came to la because I, I called my friend nick that owns it. i'm like Dude, I found the coolest location ever to race a drone. He goes, what? I go, it's an abandoned mall in the ghetto. And he's like, really? And we're like, yeah. And we went there and we went and checked it out. And it's like where they shot like Gone Girl and all this other stuff. Mm. And they use it for movies and different shows in LA. And I'm like, we should do it here. And it turned out to be one of the craziest races. Yeah. So, do you have a part of this or are you just helping out? I, well, I think they gave us some shares. I think so. But <laughs> like, like the thing is that like Nick is like became like family to us and like really yeah. good friends. It's, like, that's what's the greatest thing about going into this industry is that you meet brands and like companies that are just starting out. And in a matter of like a year or two, like some of them are crazy astronomical growth. But that relationship and bonds you build with them, like they keep using you. It's like, hey, we got this other crazy project and the budgets get bigger. And it's just like everyone helps each other and they grow with each other. Man, are you hiring? (laughs) (laughs) I kind of want to quit. I don't want to work here anymore, Rob. I'm quitting too. I'm going to work. There's a lot of crazy things you could do. Like, uh, so 
hey, we're all in Vegas here. One of the stupidest things I've done in Vegas is that when we're doing Bryce Menzies' show, we're like, we need a badass opening. And we're wanting to do like the explosion fire in the background and like have them walking away from it. And we're like, yeah, well, let's just get a Red Bull container filled with Tenorite, a bunch of gasoline. <laughs> but Tenorite, you have to shoot it with a bullet. So we yeah. have them walking away from the thing. We're shooting bullets behind them. And we're like, this is flawless. Like, like nothing could go wrong. <laughs> and we're out in the middle of nowhere in this like dry desert next to the highway exiting back to L.A. So there's, there's a highway close by. We're out there and we shoot it and it explodes exploded so much bigger than we thought it was going to <laughs> shrapnel spine everywhere like instead of being like the badass like action movie like they're walking away they're both are like covering their face like fires almost coming near them and uh while we're out there we're like we should get out of here this was really dumb of us like we're gonna get in a lot of trouble for this while we're driving away on the news and on the radio they're like a suspected plane crash in the desert and we're like oh my god that was us <laughs> Honest, hold, I'm going to tell you honestly, you and Gary would get along fabulously. Yeah. You should hire him. You guys are good from the same cloth. <laughs> I think we would. I think totally. we would. Yeah. Except you would come back saying a plane did crash. Yeah. yeah. All right. When's the last time you woke up bleeding? Oh, it happens once a week. No, no, okay, okay, okay. Uh, no. Back in the day when I was just doing this stuff with uh, Red Bull and Andy Bell and TP, they would tell me to do stupid things. I was young and I was like, these guys are so cool. They did all the Nitro Circus jackass right. stuff. And they were like, Colt, we're going to swim underneath the ice all the way to the other end. I'm like, you could die. And he's like, no, but we're going to do it to break a world record. I'm like, okay, great. And I'm filming it. And oh, I saw that. Yeah. And while we're filming, the first time we did it, somehow all the footage got corrupted. Oh, Guess what? No. They had to cut holes and swim it again <laughs> another time. But my punishment, but even though the footage was corrupted, they had to put me in the water. And that literally, they wouldn't let me get out of the water. They just pushed me in the water and they put me in a Speedo, or actually women's underwear, and put me in the water in the oh. ice. And I had to sit there and freeze for five minutes. Oh, God, that was brutal. <laughs> yeah. So what advice do you have for the guys out there that maybe they didn't go to film school or they're trying to get in the industry? Like, What, what advice do you have for the, the, the youngsters coming in? Oh, the youngsters? Oh, uh, t wisdom. Get wisdom from people. People that, like, everyone wants to help you. Everyone, like, even going to your guys' site and watching the videos. Education is huge in getting to know what you're doing. Like, yes, film school is great, but it's you're not going to learn everything there. Mm -hmm. You learn everything in the field. You learn everything by picking up a camera and testing it. Because in film school, they're going to tell you, you got to pick up a camera and film. It's like, I'm paying thousands of dollars for this. Like, that thousand I put to film school, I could buy a nice camera, and I really yep. could, like, dedicate myself into learning and getting a good group of friends that want to learn as well. And then you just get better and better. If you had a $10,000 budget and you're trying to make your first purchase, what would, what would you buy? Oh shit. Um, 10,000 bucks. <laughs> it's crazy. Cause like now, like all the big cameras I'm working with, I'm like 10,000 is not enough. <laughs> yeah. It's not enough. Yeah. But there's 10 years ago it would have been so much, money. so much money. Yeah. I think someone's like, I have ten thousand dollars to buy a camera. But, oh, I'm getting the best camera in the it world. Doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be a camera. You can spend it any way you want. But you you don't have a reel. You don't own any gear. But ten thousand bucks. What, what ten thousand bucks? I would find a person that has a camera, and find someone that's a really good DP or just someone that can show you and make like a little project together, and also get gear. Like yeah. get you. You definitely want a camera because you could go out and get like. There's so many companies out there that need marketing and videos. You can just start working that process with lower jobs and bringing in money the same way I did to learn how to become a filmer and become storyteller and become a person that knows lighting and working as a team. 
So when you left the funeral home, I'm sure you had no idea that this was going to happen. You'd be making crazy commercials with people dressed as Reese's Pieces and doing yeah. stuff for Starbucks and now feature films and the bleeding edge of, of creating amazing uh, technological advances in the, in the market. Um, where do you think you're going to go? What do you, what do you have your sights on? What are things that you want to well, accomplish? My sights are I want to make movies that are my own style because like Deacons, who's all hail Deacons, he's like one of the best cinematographers ever. Even though he's never won an Oscar, he's <laughs> nominated more than any cinematographer ever in history. But um, like Deacons, Chivo, Maddie Libatique, all these big cinematographers, they have looks and feel. And I want to like create my own style that's born into it and work with other directors like Dave and Dylan, my business partners. But the, the directing they do is different than other directors. And working with other people is key to creating art. And I want to be the next, like, Robert Richardson. Like, I want to shoot Tarantino style, but I also want to have a Wes Anderson feel to it. Like, mm -hmm. I love Wes Anderson storytelling, and I love Tarantino style storytelling. Yeah. So, like, the, they're setting up a lunch for me and Robert Richardson to sit, Robert Richardson to sit down. I'm going to pick his brain. And even his key grip, Herbalt, I met several times. Like, just getting wisdom from these people yeah. that have done it and done the pictures you really love. What are some of the pictures that have influenced you the most? Like, what, what would you tell our audience to go out to have your mind blown to watch something and really study it? Because the lighting is amazing. The composition is amazing. What are your, some of your favorites? Uh, hands down, I think Sicario as a movie oh, is yeah. flawless. Flawless. I, I love that movie. It, it, oh, it's, it's flawless. Like, it, that movie, just everything, the way you're at the edge of your seat. Also, Interstellar, Hoyt, oh, did such yeah. a great job on that and the way he pulled people into it. And he shot real large format. He was shooting IMAX film on that movie. So the, the biggest thing about larger sensors, you get that shallow depth of field, but large sensors that are like IMAX, you can shoot like a 28-millimeter yeah. lens or 21-millimeter and get a really That's shallow depth of yeah. field. That's why Nolan do, did it in Batman. Like, that's why people are now realizing this bigger sensor. You can get these really cool, like, gaudy, big scene feels and looks. Right. But I will say, like, going out there and seeing, like, the thing is there's a lot of good directors out there. But if you actually look at the cinematographers that shot it and look at their wheelhouse, those are the movies that are really, like, push you. Like, even Royal Tenenbaums is, like, Oh, yeah, that's one know, of my favorites. It's I, a great, it, and the yeah. thing is with the Royal Tenenbaums, it's, like, when you really watch it, like, the lighting had some mistakes. But the mistakes in the lighting was great. And then they had, like... Everything's being anamorphic, and it's just like the style you get from Royal Tenenbaums and the way they told the story. Right. It's hilarious. It's all quirky. It's the all whole quirky. Thing is quirky. So it's, even the lighting mistakes kind of blend and work well yes. with the characters. They're befitting. And what's great about watching good movies is like, like how they like the DP and director went into the scene, and it's like, hey, like let's simplify it. Like this is the best thing about Roger Deakins. He simplifies scenes instead of going into a scene with a big master wide shot and then doing your quick, like over the shoulders to get the scene and maybe like a couple close ups. Deacon's like, I'm going to shoot it from one angle and then one other weird angle. Yeah, that's okay. it. But by doing that, it feels like you're a viewer in the room watching it. And you're like watching this guy get his ass kicked in Sicario. So what's your, what's your favorite film of Deacons? Uh, Sicario. Sicario. Sicario, uh, Sicario is so good. Lighting, color, feel, everything, flawless. So where can where can everyone go to find your work and to follow you and uh, keep um, up? Also with this movie too. The movie, uh, yeah, it'll be coming out this fall. Like they're working the distribution deal out right now. But uh, Culprit Creative is our website, and uh, but just yeah, just search stuff that I do. I'm gonna be working with a lot of other directors and DP uh, directors and other DPs as well because I want to come on as operators to learn from like top DPs. Cool. 
Cole, this has been a great conversation. Yeah. And thanks so much. I feel like we need to have you back for another round at some point. Yeah, I feel like we I think we could keep talk. talking. Yeah, yeah. For hours. Yeah. How long has it been? It's been an hour. hour. Blacked out. (laughs) What happened? (laughs) I blacked out. What happened? I think I quit my job. (laughs) You did. (laughs) Well, I'm excited to come work for you, Cole. Thanks for hiring me. (laughs) You're welcome. Awesome. To download this episode and all of this season four here at NAB, you can go to rggedupodcast.com and also subscribe to us. Also, give us some feedback. Write a review. Tell Tell us what you think. Yeah. Write us an angry letter. Yeah. <laughs> no, write Colt an angry letter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Send that letter to Rob at rggedu.com with also maybe a dick pic. <laughs> God. Perfect, Gary. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> that was a good ending. You know people are going to do that. Now. That was a good oh, ending. Oh, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm so pissed. Awesome. <laughs> All right. Cheers. All right. Bye. You learned something, didn't you? You thought you wouldn't, but I would not lead you astray. I am your friend. This podcast is brought to you by Sekonic and the new L858 Speedmaster Light Meter, the first multifunction light meter to measure flash duration and HSS. Its expanded ISO range and higher sensitivity in low light make it the perfect companion for any photographer or filmmaker looking to get accurate and consistent results in their work. Go to Sekonic.com to learn more about this incredible tool and see how it can help you unlock your true photographic potential.